I think COVID-19 in a way made us stronger, made us realize that we need communities even more than ever, and made us understand that things like fuck-up nights that are common ground for everyone are important when it's pandemic, but also when everything is fine. You're listening to Create Community. I'm your host, Marsha Drucker. On this podcast, we're exploring the human side of community. I'm chatting with some amazing community builders to define what community truly means. Joining me today is Leora Golem. Leora is one of the most well-known and distinguished voices in the community leadership scene in Israel. In 2015, she founded the Israel branch of Fuck Up Nights, changing the way that Israelis view and share failure. Leora's career has taken her across activism, social impact, NGOs, high tech, community, and so much more. Along her journey, she's worked in Australia, in one of Israel's biggest social impact NGOs, and at Wix as a community manager. She's currently the Innovation and Tech Ecosystem Relations Manager at eBay. In this episode, we take a deep dive into what makes the community profession so unique in Israel, how Leora recruits and leads impactful volunteer teams, and Leora's personal journey and community. So with that, let's jump right into it. Leora, thank you so much for joining me today on Create Community. I'm super excited to chat with you. Thank you so much for inviting me. I'm really happy to be here as well. Awesome. So I'm super excited for this episode. I think it's a really special one because you're really the person that kind of inadvertently made me a community builder and showed me what community building is all about. For anybody listening that's familiar with my journey with Fuck Up Nights, you know that the very first Fuck Up Night event that I went to was in Tel Aviv. And that was Leora's community. She put that event on. And I don't think we met at that very first event, but we did connect afterwards a few months later when I came back to Toronto and wanted to bring fuck up nights here and she really helped mentor me throughout that journey we've been in touch ever since we were able to meet in person the next summer i believe when i was visiting israel so super excited to chat with you today i'm really excited to talk with you as well and to see how people see ingress community in different countries so obviously in canada and the u.s it's different than how we see it in israel so i think this conversation is going to be extremely interesting So to start these episodes, I really like to learn a little bit more about my guest's journey and how you actually became a community builder. So for you, I've noticed that camp, scouts, and student activism and leadership was a really big part of your early journey. How did those experiences shape you and what was it like going through all of that? So I'm going to tell you a secret, but I'm going to be 33 in like a month. And I'm telling you my age just because... I was raised in a really small town. We didn't have internet like you have it today. So all I had was the people that I grew up with, which basically were my first community. And we went to the Scouts together, to a youth movement together. I've been to the Scouts for 12 years, kind of shaped who I am in the way that I grasp education, how helping others, communities and everything. That was the first step. I think I was raised into a community. The same with my family. My family was extremely tight. Every weekend, Friday was with my mom's side, Saturday was my dad's side. Like that was the real sense of community that I, even if it's in a workplace or not. When I got older, I was lucky enough to experience an American summer camp. What was so amazing for me is to see the day are coming back each year to the same camp to see the same people that they're not necessarily going to be with for the rest of the year. And 
create the same sense of community each year. It was incredible. So I think those two experiences kind of shaped the way that I grasp communities for sure. The same with the army. For anybody listening in Israel, you might not be familiar with this, but army service is pretty much mandatory for everybody. What was that experience like for you in the army? So every time people ask me about my army service, they ask me if I was a combat soldier. And I have to say, a lot of the people in the army are non combat soldiers. For me, we served in a rescue unit in the Air Force. And as part of my role, I was in charge of the operation room. We saved tons of people during the two years that I served in the army and even after when I did reserve service. But we were a small unit, less than 100 people that see each other every day for two years. You know the people by heart. You serve for 24-7. You have ships of 24 hours. You get to know people like you didn't know your best friends before. It's an incredible journey that you are having with those people for two years. So again, a lot of those who served with me and I didn't see for 10 years. If I see them now on the street, I'll hug them. I'll be so happy just because they know so much about me and I know so much about them because of that family feeling that you had. So that for sure is a part of who I am today. And also my role was so intense that it made me a better manager in general. And when you think about community leading, it's exactly those skills that I learned there that I took to any role that I had or any volunteer position that I took running communities. Your army service seems to be such a pivotal part of your journey. So what did you do right after the army? Did you take the opportunity to travel or what did you end up doing? So not like most of Israelis, I didn't go and travel. I got an offer to do QA. It's a role that is very technical and I took it because it was a great opportunity. And after seven months, I didn't like myself anymore. I looked at a computer for 12 hours a day and I just found myself to be a really great person. Like in Hebrew, it sounds better, but a very boring, no social life. Like I hated it. I was 21 and I wanted to do something different. I learned in Ben-Gurion University and I studied political science and mass communication, media. I always say that I learned a lot in university, but not from classes but from real life. It was my first role, the first time I actually managed people, run a budget. And I think there I decided that I'm not going to deal with politics because it's not my passion, but I want to work with people and I want to create opportunities for people. And community management as a job description is something that we see more and more in the past few years. And again, if you will see a community manager position in Israel, it will be completely different than a community manager position in the U.S. or Canada. There, it's more based on social media and running social media. And here in Israel, it's more about the engagement and creating a small or close group of users. If they're better users or fans, ambassadors, there is a lot of ways that organizations see communities. And we'll talk about it, I'm sure, in a second. But in university, I decided that I want to build communities. I want to be that person that help others create a sense of community in their products or in the day-to-day or whatever. And that's why finished university, the day that I finished my last paper, I flew to Australia for two years. I worked there in a student organization called OGIS. And I helped in communities. That was my role. That's so cool. How did you find your people and your community when you were in a new country? 
I was extremely lucky because I got the job when I was at home and moving there, I already had a bunch of people that I knew, but not really. And I also had a bit of family there. Also, I found my best friend three weeks after I started there. I feel like 25 is such a pivotal, important age. It was exactly 25 as well when I left everything behind in Canada to go live in Tel Aviv. So you came back from that experience. You got back to Tel Aviv and you jumped back into the tech ecosystem as a community manager at Wix. What did you learn in that role and what did community even entail at Wix? So before I joined Wix, I worked for a year in an NGO and I decided after that year that I want to move to high tech. And the reason that I wanted to move to the tech industry is because of the opportunities that you got there, but also because it's a new challenge that I wanted to crack. I met Asaf, which was my manager, and he gave me the first opportunity to join a tech company. It's not easy to do the shift from an NGO to tech if you don't have a specific occupation. And I didn't. I'm that person that have a variety of skills, but not necessarily a diploma that says that I can do X, Y, or Z. So I got that opportunity. I joined Weeks. At Weeks itself, I think there's over 20 communities now. Because it's such a large company, you can see a lot of different communities. If it's users, if it's designers, if it's people that are selling on weeks or anything else. So I ran one of the programs there that no longer exists for many, many reasons. This was the school of tech for me in a way, because I not only learn about how tech industry grasps community, but also how users see companies, especially such a big company as Wix. And I learned how to talk with people that don't necessarily see themselves as community members. They see themselves as user of the products, but we see them as community members. And how do you talk with them? And how do you get them to feel like they're community members. That's such a key thing. Like, how do you get these people to actually talk to each other? Because that's really the definition of community. It's not just pushing out content to them or pushing out resources. It's how do you connect them to each other? I want to shift gears here a little bit, and I want to spend some time chatting about Fuck Up Nights. So what was it for you that inspired you to bring Fuck Up Nights to Israel? How did you get started on that journey? So I failed, and I talked to a friend of mine, the one that I mentioned from Australia, and I told her that I'm a big failure, and I'm not sure that I could do anything like career-wise. And she said, go to a Fuck Up night. And I was like, what the hell are you talking about? She said, a Fuck Up night. Google it. And I did. And I called her and I said, okay, but it doesn't exist here. So what do you want me to do? And she was like, well, you know how you can produce events and create people to move and do stuff? And I said, yes. And I was in such low point in my life that I didn't see myself doing anything. And for a week, I think we had daily calls of her trying to convince me to call them. And I did. After a week, I said, okay, okay, I can do it. Worst case, they'll tell me no. It's just going to be another no. It's fine. I know how to deal with it. And they gave me the franchise to start in Tel Aviv. And I had no team. I had no idea how the event should look like, except of what I read. But I decided it's going to happen. I post two Facebook posts, one in communities that I'm a part of, with like alumni fellowships and stuff like that. And another one on my personal wall. And I wrote about it like I know exactly what it is and what's going to happen and everything. And two days after, 14 people, strangers, showed up in my house for the first meeting. 
on that day, we decided to have a first event a month and we did it. A week before the event, we opened a Facebook page. We created a Facebook event. We opened a meetup. And a week before the event, we had no speakers. And we had a location and they decided that they can't host us because of the word fucking our name. So like 10 days before the event, we had to figure everything out. And we found a venue that told us you have until 9 p.m. and then you have to leave. And we called everyone we knew and we asked for favors. And in the end, we had three amazing people come and share their failure stories and the way that we found them was by stalking articles and looking for somebody who said something about a failure at some point of their life. And we had 120 people at our first event. They all came late, like Israelis do, but it was incredible. And I remember looking at the team of strangers and looking at the people and the speakers and everything and feeling like, okay, there's something here. So much of what you said obviously resonates with me because I've been on such a similar path just over three years here in Toronto. And it was the same thing. Like I started it because I was feeling like a failure myself and it just really spurred something in me. And I can tell you one thing, like entrepreneurs now, when they go, I heard it from a friend of mine who works in a VC. They asked the entrepreneur, where is your fail point? And she gave them the answer. And at the end, she said, worst case, we'll talk about it at Fuckham Nights. When she told me that, I felt so proud. It's a part of the conversation because you know how people ask you like three cons and three pros, like in a job interview, like tell us three things that you're not necessarily good at. And it's not a cliche question, like at least in Israel, they used to ask it. And I'm sure people still do. I hear more and more people asking about failures in interview process, like share with us a failure. What was your part? What would you do different? What did you learn in doing different today? And I know that that question has a lot to do with what we're doing because in each event that we're holding in our social media and everywhere, we're telling people this event will be successful. Not if you enjoyed it, will be successful if tomorrow morning when you go to work or you have dinner with your family or friends, you tell people you attended but you will tell them what you learned, what was your failure, and ask them about theirs. For sure. Like what we're doing with Fuck Up Nights, we're not just hosting events. We're really creating this community that connects people that they're there to take their own guard down and to really be in a place that feels authentic and it feels real. Like to me, like just knowing that very first event that I went to in Tel Aviv, it changed something in me. Like I've been to so many events back in Toronto. And then when I was in Tel Aviv, I was going out to a lot of different events. I was trying to meet people, really find my community there. And that was the first event that just, it didn't feel like an event to me. It felt like there was actually a community of people there. It felt like the stories were actually refreshing and people were sharing their real struggles. It was just so different. And I think that's what Fuck Up Nights is. So something that I really look up to you on is the way that you manage your team and how you keep them so motivated. When you recruited that first volunteer team, how did you go about defining their roles and how did you set out the expectations that you have for your volunteers? Honestly, when we started, I had no idea what's going to happen and I shared it with them. I think being vulnerable and I think showing the people that you work with who you are, what do you expect from yourself and what's like the goal, the end mission is very helpful. When you work in a startup, that's the culture because you don't have a lot of people, but you all work on the same goal. So you each have their own position, but in the end, the mission is to get the startup running the same as Fuck Up Night, the same as any other projects, community especially. You need to understand who are the people, what motivate them 
in the core. Like, why did you join the team when you run a community and you have moderators with you and other community managers? That's the first question you need to answer yourself and ask them. Why did they join the team? What was the reason? Being part of something is great. The reason that communities are so successful in today's age is because we all want to be part of something that is bigger than us and we all want to help others. So when you build a team, that's what you need to ask yourself. It's not because they want to be here. They want to be here because of they want to be better in what they do. They want to build skills. They want to learn something. They want to be associated with you or with the community. They want to build their own brand. But when you answer yourself and you understand and you create kind of a map of the people that works with you and what they're good at, what they want to get good at and what are they missing, then it's like a puzzle. Then you create like the A-team and you know how you can motivate everybody by in one hand, giving them what they want and need, and sometimes don't even know that they want or need, on, on the other end, just being there for them. So you started Fuck Up Nights in Tel Aviv, but it's in four or five other cities across Israel now? So it's also being produced in Jerusalem and Haifa, and we had other events going on. So Jerusalem and Haifa were separate team, and we all worked together on the goal itself, but each city run by itself. And the reason for that is that each city have a different vibe and a different culture and different speakers. And if you'll come to a fact in Tel Aviv or Jerusalem or Haifa, you will have a completely different experience. And I think that's the beauty of it because the format is the same, but because the people who runs it are so different, the event itself is so different. For sure. It's so key to really cater it to each region. There's none across the world that are really going to be similar. And that's what makes it successful. It was similar for me in Canada. I mean, the like Fuck Up Nights Toronto really spurred the start of, I think, five or six other chapters across Canada. But then there was one that I ended up starting myself about a year and a half after starting Fuck Up Nights Toronto, which was Fuck Up Nights Kitchener Waterloo. It's a city that's about like an hour and a half out of Toronto. And it's like the little like Silicon Valley of Toronto that no one really knows about. So I started it there. I ran it there for about a year and then I handed it off to the local team because I realized they were just so much more immersed than it and they had such a better understanding of who like speakers should be, who partners should be, and it just didn't make sense. So something that makes your events really unique are the speakers that you find. And I think the speakers are really something that make or break Fuck Up Nights events. You know, you could have everything else in place. Like you can have the most amazing venue, food, drinks, whatever. If the speakers suck, the event usually sucks because people are there to hear stories of failure and to really learn. How do you go about finding your speakers and how do you coach them to tell really good stories? We approach people not because they're famous or because they have a specific failure, but because we find them interesting and engaging on stage. But also we're trying to look for the stories that are not being told yet. So we'll approach a CEO and we'll talk with him about failures in general and failures in the company and failures that he might have or she might have. And we'll find that story that he didn't necessarily share in the past or she shared in the past. We'll coach them for between an hour and a half to four hours, depends on the speaker, even more sometimes. We'll go and meet them in person. Again, we do it completely voluntarily. And when we cured an event, we try to have different people with different perspective on failure because we don't decide what's a failure. We tell people, share with us your stories, and we will help you bring it to the stage the best way possible. 
What I found is that with other events, you really look for that like prestige of the speaker, like the big name, the really well-known CEO or celebrity. With fuck-up nights, sometimes it works really well if they really resonate with the concept and they really want to share their true story. But a lot of the time, it's like they have so much on the line. And, you know, if they're at that high-ranking role within a company, especially, there's usually like a whole PR team that goes along with it. And it's very limited in what they can actually share. A lot of the time, they're not as open as, you know, some somebody who's a new entrepreneur. So we're recording this during COVID-19. I'm really curious, what did your team do to pivot during these times? And what do you think the future of Fuck Up Nights looks like in Tel Aviv as things start opening back up? So we'll talk about Fuck Up Nights, but I want to mention something about communities during this time. Obviously, we had to cancel the event, the event that was planned for March. It was the first time we canceled an event. We had speakers canceling 20 hours before an event before and never cancel an event. But it was sad, to be honest. It was sad and we weren't sure how we're going to continue for two weeks. There was like radio sounds. We didn't even talk, I think, between us about what we're going to do. Then we decided that this thing is going to continue for a few months and we can't keep quiet. So we decided to do an event. So we did online events. We had in the first event over 300 people. It was insane. And we saw that people want fuck-up nights in the end. They want to feel normal. They want their routine. They want to know that they can go and grab a beer. And they saw the resilience that communities have built in the past few months in Israel, but also globally. Like a lot of communities pivoted. Everyone in the world, basically. You'll see that a lot of good things have happened thanks to COVID-19, which is funny to say. And I'm not sure even if you're familiar with SGN, some good news that John Karnitsky started. And you saw their items from Canada, from Argentina, from Israel, from the US, from Africa, from everywhere. And it's just... I think COVID-19 in a way made us stronger, made us realize that we need communities even more than ever, and made us understand that things like fuck-up nights that are common ground for everyone are important when it's pandemic, but also when everything is fine. Like, And we need to make sure that we have a balance between emergency to everything is fine. Yeah, right now it might even be more important than ever because like you said, like people want their routine. They want to feel a sense of normalcy and fuck up nights isn't just about fuck ups. Like our message is really at the end of the day about resilience and about inspiration and about just being human. So I want to shift gears here a little bit and get some of your advice for community managers and other community builders. So you touched on this a little bit at the beginning, but I'd really like to hear from you. What do you think makes the community profession unique and exciting in Israel specifically? I think we're more progressive when we think about communities, and that's the reason it's so different. But what makes it so unique is the way Israel was built and it was built on communities. If it's the kibbutzim, kibbutz, if you ever heard about that term, it's a small group of people who collectively work together, raise their kids together. So it's a part of who we are as a nation. So the way that we look at the community is not just a tool. It's not just a feature on a product. It's a way of living. So a community manager in Israel, it's not only about 
creating the content for community members. It's bringing the community members together around a specific mission or a challenge or whatever. And if you even look at a job description in Israel and in the US for a global company, it's so different. Like, look at a community manager position at Waze and look at a community manager position at Google. They are completely different. There's a reason for that. And it's the same company. That's why I gave that example. And again, we learn a lot from what happens in the US or North America in general, or Europe or Africa or Australia. I think you, you nailed it. You're just progressive and you're ahead. But it's really cool what I'm seeing, you know, through doing this podcast, through participating at other community events and across the North America and across different parts of the world. I do see it shifting and I do see people starting to define it a little bit better and really understanding that concept that you have to create these connections between the community members themselves. So something else that I wanted to chat about is how you manage your time between everything that you're doing. It's super impressive. You're working full time, you're running fuck up nights, you do other volunteer work, you have some consulting initiatives on the go. And I'm sure there's a lot of things that I'm even missing here. How do you balance all of it? And are there any times where you feel like you kind of burnt out or fucked up at balancing? I'm going to be a liar if I'm not going to tell you that a lot of time I'm being burned out or doing too much because I am. I know exactly what's my priorities. And I think if you need to learn something on how I manage everything is like prioritize your shit. So I know my work is X amount of time and Fuckplants is X amount of time and the communities that are around is Y amount of time and my friends and family and everything are more time, but it's the way that I prioritize everything. And I try not to be available at all time to all of them. For example, we set meetings for fuck up nights every first Wednesday of the month. So we know to clear the schedule. We don't have to doodle every time or stuff like that. A lot of people do that. And when it comes to fuck up nights, like at work, they know that I leave early on that event each month because I need to deal with other stuff and they're okay with it. But I also think it's about being very honest and clear. So my partner in life is very busy as well. So he knows when... I'm busy, I know when he's busy and we try to schedule meeting with friends or podcast recording and artist stuff when the other person is also busy to make sure that the free time that we do have, we spend with each other. And fuck up nights, we have two separate groups like on WhatsApp, one that is important and the other one is just like talk about whatever you want, but it's not as important so you can mute it if you want. But the other one is only about events and updates and everything. And I think in a way that's what I do in everything, like I have a channel for updates and a channels for just random stuff. And I think it's with everyone, but again, it's a struggle. Every time is a struggle because I'm sure that you're like me. I always will take another project on board and I'll think about the next initiative that I'm going to run and COVID is happening. So how are we helping people? So there's always something, and I think now, and it took me forever to get to this point, understanding that A, I can say no to initiatives, that was a struggle for me, and B, I need to choose wisely, because the more that I take on, the less time that I devote to the things that are really important to me. I totally agree with you there. We actually, it's funny, at one of our events in the fall, we had a speaker, her entire fuck up was not saying no. You know, like she didn't have like a big failure, but she just had multiple times where she would just say yes to everything and she would burn out and it just became this huge pattern in her life. And she had a really great talk and really great lessons about how she actually learned to say no and how she found ways to sort of rank opportunities that were coming her way. 
I want to shift gears here a little bit again, and I want to chat about your personal community, because I think it's so interesting what communities, community leaders are actually part of. So for you, what are some of the communities that are meaningful to you and that you're a part of in Israel or even abroad? Because I'm in high volume of communities, I try to, to understand which one are really important to me. So I think the key one are obviously the team that is FACAP9. The other community that is important to me is the community that I run, the career one that shifted a lot now and also in the past five years since we established it. I think if I spend time online, I probably spend time helping people on that community. I have another community which is female-based community, small one. I think there's like 300 people there. But I noticed that the community that have the most impact on my life and then the one that I'm actually active on are small communities of a few hundreds. I don't find myself in communities of like thousands or 10,000 or half a million people. I love that. There's just so much more value and so much more impact, like you said, when it's more intimate, because the whole point of community is to be able to connect with others. And it's just it's a lot more feasible to do it when it's actually intimate. So outside of some of those professional communities, what are some of your interests and passions and how do you kind of find community around that? That's a big question, (laughs) because I think communities in everything that I do, and I'm not saying it just to say it. So for example, we really big fans of alcohol, but not alcoholics, more about collecting alcohol, creating cocktails and stuff like that. For example, we have 24 bottles of gin at home. Why? We don't need them, but we have them. And one of the things that I did is create like nights of friends that come here, enjoy cocktails. Obviously COVID stopped everything, but we'll put it aside. Or I immediately joined alcohol and cocktail makers community. Like that's the first thing I did. And I really like fixing up things like old furniture and stuff like that. But I think, again, it's the creative side of me. But I think it's in every aspect of my life when you think about it. I love cooking. I do it all the time. And again, I share the recipes or create post bottles in communities or whatever. The other things that I'm doing that is not a part of the communities, but it's because of my work in the community, is helping other people create their own pets, moving from NGOs in the public sector to the high-tech industry and finding positions and jobs for other peoples. We even created like a Facebook page with created opportunities that people don't often get to see. And we help people find positions that they not in their reach. And it's interesting. It's something that happened two years ago and I didn't even notice it. And now it's like a big part of what I do. That's awesome. I think that just kind of comes with the territory. Like once you build your own community or, you know, something like Fuck Up Nights, you meet so many people through it and you're able to really become a connector. And I think, by the way, being a Fuck Up Nights organizer or organizer of any community project or anything, you need to be a connector. You need to be that person who hear one thing from your friend and then immediately think about another friend that this information can help. I'm not talking about gossip. I'm talking about opportunities, events. Whenever people ask me what is the most essential thing about communities, I say when people talk to each other and create opportunities for each other. That's the simplest definition of it. How do you choose your people? You know, the people that are really close to you. That's like a big question. And I deal with it every day. I think about it all the time. I think the people that are most close to me are the people that I don't feel are using me or my connections or anything. 
And those are the people that I want to see on the weekends and that want to see me on the weekend, but also the people that I don't have to be the only side who's trying to maintain the relationship. Like it's both sided and we both have something to share with each other and they find me interesting, but I find them interesting. And it's not just about asking stuff. So I used to have friends or people that I defined as friends that every conversation was about them asking for a favor or asking me to connect them with someone or anything. And now I understand that they never were my friends. They were colleagues or people that I like seeing on social gatherings, but they're not necessarily the people that I like just the one-on-one time and it's okay. And also I sound so old saying it, but on my 30th birthday, I had over 200 people on my birthday. And now like in the month or even last year, I basically want there 15 or 20 people. I'm going to be as happy as I was when I was 30. And I have like a test. It's a mind test. Every time that I struggle about like, is this a real friend or not? I ask myself, if I had a flat tire four hours away from their house, Will they come and help me at 4 a.m.? And if I know, like, for sure, yeah, they'll come, they'll find a solution. If they can't come, then that's fine. But then I ask myself the same thing. Would you come? Would you come and and change their flat tire? It's something that we need to ask ourselves. And also understanding that some friends or you had stronger connection with them in a specific age and now it's changed because of, like, your relationship status or if you're a parent or not, or if you moved somewhere far, that's also okay because life keeps changing and some people are more relevant to your day-to-day than others, but it doesn't mean that you don't love the people and still feel that they have a really big part of your life. For sure, yeah. If your interests, everything evolves. If you're growing through life, you can't just stay in the same place. You can't just keep the same circle of friends around you. I love what you said about finding people that would change your tire or that you would change their tire. I haven't heard that kind of analogy before, but that's so key. Like That's how you know if somebody's going to be there for you or not. And the answer is no, then it's so true. Like Why give so much of your life to them? And my last question for you is, and I ask this of everybody on the podcast, what does community mean to you? So I think I answered it, but honestly, it's a part of who I am. And my current job is not about communities. I still find a way to create a sense of community in my current position with employees, for example, or with startups that I'm meeting or anything else, because it's a part of who I am. It's a part of my identity and I love it. I'm a connector. I'm a community person. Just sounds like community is everything to you. And I love that you found a way to make your current role about it as well. I should have made more questions about it, but I absolutely love that it's at the core of what you do at work as well and everything that you've been able to build for it. Awesome, Leora. Thank you so much for joining me. It was so great chatting with you. Again, thank you so much for the invite. And if you need anything, you know you can call me. Definitely. Thank you so much. And right back at you always. I had such a great time chatting with Leora, and I hope you learned as much as I did from this episode. You can find Leora on LinkedIn by searching for Leora Golem, and you can learn more about Fuck Up Nights at fuckupnights.com and fuckupnightstelaviv.com for Leora's local chapter. Thanks for tuning in to Create Community, a podcast where I chat with incredible community builders to define what community truly means. 
You can check out the series on Spotify, Apple, or wherever you normally listen. Please remember to subscribe and leave us a rating and review. I'd really love to hear your feedback. You can also follow us on Instagram at createcommunitypod or check out our website at createcommunitypod.com for updates. Once again, I'm Marsha Drucker, your host, signing off. A huge thank you to Origins Media House for producing this series. You can find them at originsmediahouse.com, where house is spelled H-A-U-S, or on LinkedIn and Instagram at Origins Media House and Twitter at Origins Media.